How many of you here love Star Wars? Okay, now let me ask another question if you're really brave. How many of you were actually in the theater in 1980 when the Empire Strikes Back? So for the rest of us, I kind of want to explain to you this moment. In 1980, there was no social media. There was no internet. If there were cell phones, they were as big as a rock. And so in this moment, for you to know that Luke is Darth Vader's son, you had to be in theaters or you had to have a friend who couldn't keep their mouth shut. But what we're talking about this morning is probably this, uh, this movie, this story, is one of the greatest plot twists of all time. So if you were in that theater, you know that you're sitting in there that moment and all of a sudden Darth Vader, played by the famous James Earl Jones, says to Luke and he says, I am your father. You think about the surprise and if you just imagine yourself in that theater, some of you, you're remembering being in that theater and seeing it. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the, uh, we're in, a, in the book of Judges for our next part of the series, Less Than Perfect. We'll be in Judges 4. Turn with me there. Today's story has a bunch of important plot twists that we have to walk through. And hopefully you were listening while Trisha was telling the story to kids because she really set us up to understand this passage. But before we go into reading that and walking through it, uh, I just want to go through the characters that are in the midst of this story. So first of all, there's Jabin. He's the king of the Canaanites. The Canaanites were enemies of God. And then there's Sisera, who is a very vicious military leader against God's people. And the two main characters of the story is Deborah, who's a judge, which means that she overheard people's complaints. She was a political figure, but she was also a prophet. So she spoke for God, and she had a partner by the name of Barak, who was a military leader. And again, in this passage, what we find is Israel, again, has fallen into the same cycle. They, fall, they, they would obey God, disobey God, get into a bad place, and God would have to raise up a judge. So this is where we find ourselves in this passage. Let's look at Judges 4. We're just going to read the first three verses. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud, Ehud, we talked about him last week, a left-handed warrior, was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hezer. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harish Hagiam. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. You know, as we go through this series in Judges, one of the themes that emerges to us is that God doesn't use the same people to do the same things. Each story is unique. Like I mentioned in the passage, Ehud is a left-handed warrior. He works alone. Next week, we're going to hear about Gideon. And Gideon goes through this whole process of, of weeding down men and, and kind of testing God. And what we find here is that we have this story with two of the main characters, Deborah and Barak. And the first plot twist of this story in Judges 4 is this conversation in Judges 4, 4 through 10. You see... Deborah, as a plot twist, was a woman, as Trisha pointed out. 
And in ancient times, women were not looked upon as people that would lead. And so it's surprising to the original readers of this story that Deborah would be the one that would lead the army, that she was the judge at this point. But what makes Deborah very interesting is she's the most positive reflected on judge in judges, meaning this, you know, she doesn't really have a flaw that's brought out. God speaks to her and says this, you need to go and, and take an army and defeat Sisera, and she responds right away. Not only that, she's probably the smartest judge. She realizes that her talents and her gifts are the political power, that she's someone that is going to speak in hearing to God, and she recruits Barak. So what we learn from Deborah is this, is that there's a lot of women in this room today. Some of you are first grade women. Others of you are a little older than that. And the Bible makes it extremely clear that God has a place in his kingdom for women to lead, exercise, and use their gifts. And that's so important. I don't know if you know this, but we have at least three ministries here at Browncroft. There's a group of about 60 to 70 women that during the year, they meet here on Monday nights. There's Together, which is a mentoring ministry. And then there's also Mops. And I just wanna state this clearly. We believe that God has a plan for women to use their gifts and we're a better church for that. And so Deborah being this positive example of responding to God, responding to what God has called her to do, which brings us to our next plot twist in this conversation. You see, if you were reading this passage thousands of years ago, what you would have thought is, okay, where's the man in all of this? And Barak comes in and Deborah recruits him strategically and she brings him in. And what happens is, is Barak hears what God has called Deborah to do. He hears what God is doing and his response is this. I won't battle Deborah unless you come with me. Now there's a couple ways of looking at this, but the first way is a positive way, which Barak was still following what God asked him to do. And he was just thinking, hey, if I'm gonna go to battle and I trust Deborah, I'm gonna have her come with me. It can't hurt. And that's the positive view. The negative view is that Barak hesitated. He knew what God was calling him to do. He knew what he should have done. But instead he says, I need one more sign. I need one more person to lead and help me. Deborah, I need you to come with me. I think what the original readers would have seen in this moment is they would have seen the decisiveness of Deborah and the hesitancy of Barak. Is that it more, this passage says more about Deborah's willingness to go where God had called her to go. And we see with Barak, his, his fear, his anxiety causing him to pause and step back. And you know, there's two important ideas to our spiritual walk that we have to deal with in this passage. And the first one is faith. And a definition for faith is this, faith is trusting someone or something that leads to action. Faith is trusting someone or something that leads to action. So what that means is this, all of you are practicing faith right now because you're sitting. You think that the, the chair that you're on 
is able to hold you. It's able, it's sturdy, it's not broken. You are sitting, it leads you to trust the chair that you're in and it leads you to sit down with his action. You think about this, if you schedule to meet someone at Starbucks, you have faith in that person that number one, that they'll show up and number two, hopefully they'll show up on time. So when we talk about faith with God, what we're saying is this, is we're saying that when you trust God, when you trust him, it causes you to take a step of action. It causes you to participate. But the other half of what we learn is God's sovereignty. And God's sovereignty is this, is that his authoritative work in the world around us is that, that with all the people that are making decisions and all the actions, we're responding to the fact that God has ultimate authority over the events, over the people, and over what happens in this world. And that even when bad things happen, that he's working that out to good. And what we see here is Deborah is relying in faith on God's sovereignty. She's willing to walk that road. She says, hey, I know that Sisera is strong. I know that Canaan is strong, but this is what God has called me to do. And Barak, on the other hand, is hesitating, wondering if God really called. You know, we notice in these first three verses, the author points out that there's 900 chariots. 900 chariots back in this time was the highest and best technology that, that the Canaanites could have. And it was superior to what the Israelites had. Now in verses 11 through 22, we really see, or actually the rest of the chapter, we really see what happens in this battle. And just to give you a brief kind of synopsis, the plot twist is this, little Israel defeats Canaan. Little Israel with 10,000 men defeats Canaan with 900 chariots. And there's really this, this picture of this, is the Canaanites took their chariots down a valley and down in the valley, you think about your chariots. If you're going down the valley, that is not good for horses. I am no horse expert. I'm no chariot expert. I can tell you this. If you go downhill, you gotta come uphill. I mean, I'm just saying, just saying. So they came down and the Israelites defeated the Canaanites. But that brings us to our next plot twist. Sisera gets away. And Sisera goes to a tent with a woman named Jael. Now, in the conversation that Barak has with Deborah, Deborah makes this prophecy. She says this. She says, I, or she says that, that God will use a woman to defeat Sisera. Now, if you and I were reading that thousands or so years ago, what we would have thought is Deborah is going to be this woman who's going to defeat Sisera. But what happens is, is Sisera meets with Jael. And as he meets with Jael, Jael welcomes him into her tent. And I'm gonna let you read the rest of the details on your own. And parents, I'm gonna let you read those details to your children, however you wanna explain them. But at the end of the day, it's this. Jael is, defeats Sisera. Now, here's why it's so surprising. Jael has nothing to do with the Israelites. We don't even know if she believes or fears God. But for some reason, she felt the need to take care of Sisera. And in that moment, what we see is God's sovereignty at work. 
is in ways that we would have never expected God to move. And again, as you think and you go back through the stories of judges, we see judges who we haven't talked about, like Othanel and Shamgar, but we also see judges like last week, Ehud. Ehud works alone. He's left-handed. You know, he might have had a problem with his right hand. Next week, we're going to hear about Gideon. But this is the story of the Bible. God is the hero of every story. God works through different people and in different situations. You know, we see that with Moses. You know, when the Israelites get to the Red Sea, what does God do? It's not that Moses raises his hand, but God separates the water for the Israelites to walk through. We see David versus Goliath. That's not a story that David had a ton of courage. All the odds were against him. It was the fact that God defeated Goliath through David. We see in the New Testament that Jesus is the hero of every story, that the gospel message, it's the good news that he saved us. And what that means is this, is through his death, we experience forgiveness, but it's through his resurrection that we receive power. And then even further in the New Testament is this, is Paul, who was once an enemy of faith, who wanted to kill people that followed Jesus, ends up becoming a follower of Jesus because on a Damascus road, a light shines and blinds him off a horse. The stories in the Bible aren't about how humans are so smart and how good they are. And it's about how God's the hero, how God works through people, how even when we hesitate in faith that God is still working, that even when we feel like we have weaknesses and challenges, that what God's calling us to do is in his sovereignty, he's going to work through us, that we can respond in faith and trust him, not about the outcome, but that he will work. So what's the lesson for us today? One lesson, it's this. Don't believe the lie that what got us here in the past is how God's gonna work in the future. Don't believe the lie that what got us here in the past is how God's gonna work in the future. You know, when I, when I think about this story of what makes it different is that you can look in the previous chapters of Judges and what we see that's always consistent is God is always working. God is working through people. He's always using his sovereignty. He's looking for people to respond in faith, but he never works the same way. In this story, Deborah partners with Barak. There's a woman who we don't even know what she has to do with God. We, she's not even an Israelite. She steps into the picture and she takes care of Sisera. And what we see is that, that though the Israel's, Israelites are unfaithful, that God is faithful again in a very creative way, in a way that people wouldn't expect. And I think for us is that we come to places in our life where God has plot twists. He brings us to a new place. He brings us to a time that, that it's different than where we were before. And here's the thing, is in the past, God works. And we look at our lives in the past and we see what God has done. And that is so very important. And it helps us know that God is faithful. But if we take the past and we put it in the future, what we begin to do is this, is we begin to trust what God has done in the past without trusting him. See, at the end of the day, God works through stories, not formulas. God works through stories, not formulas. You know, when I think of the way that God works, in Revelation, there's this verse that says this. It says, he's making all things new. 
He's making all things new. The creativity of God is this, is that from all these characters, from all these situations and from all these times, he's saying this, he's saying, I want to do something new. And again, it's not that the past doesn't matter. It's not that God isn't wanting us to look back and thank him. But what we sometimes do is what we think is, this worked in 1995, so it's gotta work again in 2017. We think that because we try to formulize, we try to make it orderly, and God's saying, I don't work that way. You know, I, I work within the new. You know, I think about us as a church, you know, and I think the physical picture of what we're seeing right now, you know, we're rebuilding the school building, you know, and the school building has served us well. There are a ton of kids that walk through that building. There are a ton of adults that have learned about scripture, but what God's calling us to do in this season, and again, it's a picture for us as a whole church is this, is that in 1955, when this building was built, they weren't thinking about internet. They weren't thinking about screens. There's some other things that they weren't thinking about, but I'll let you read the construction report on that. But what we're doing is we're saying this, if God's called us to reach a new generation of people, if God's called us to go next, wider and deeper, if God has called us to do that, then we actually have to build a platform that represents that to the people of today. You know, we live in a new context. The things that teenagers are going through today are similar but very different to what things I went through as a teenager. You know, adults and parents today are going through very different things, trying to explain social media, trying to understand, trying to help kids connect socially. You think about this, even adults are going through things different. Where we are in 2017 isn't even where we were in 2005, in 2010. And what God's saying is this, is I'm faithful. I've been faithful in the past and remember that and thank me for that. But don't forget that I wanna do something new. You see, God's not done with us yet. You know, a stat that keeps me up at night and kind of worries me a little bit and where you know, I've been really seeking God in prayer is Barna, who does a lot of statistics on church, churches, Rochester is rated the 20th city in the United States of the most de-churched people. So when I say de-churched, that means at some point, you know, a person or individual had a connection to church. They were wanting to be a part of church and all of a sudden they just gave up on church. And so uh, whether it was Sunday morning wasn't working for them, they found something else to take its place. So what that means is this, is that if we keep on going to the past, if we try to formulize God, if we try to make it something we can understand and we keep coming with that, what we're doing is we're not reaching those people that for some reason they gave up on church, which means that we have to be like Barack and Deborah. We have to look at our time and we have to see the plot twist. We are in a new time, in a new era. You see, I've said this before, but 70% of this community is on Facebook. And some of you are on Facebook right now, and that's okay. <laughs> but think about it. If you are on Facebook, you probably spend more than 20 minutes a day. And that's where people are. You see, the message of the gospel, it never changes. That's never come up as something that we want to change or get rid of. But the message of the gospel stays the same. But the methods and the way that we communicate that changes. 
You know, if you read the New Testament and you see how Paul shares the message of the gospel, he shares with Jews and religious people one way. And then when he goes to the Greeks that they have no idea who Jesus is, he explains it another way. Not because the message has changed, but because he realized that the audience has changed. So when we think about our lives, when we think about Barak and Deborah, what they teach us is this, is that we respond to the time that God has called us to. We respond to what he's doing. And what we begin to see is the people around us, that God doesn't want us just to take the formulas of the past. He doesn't want us to trust what he did in the past, but he actually wants to do something new in us. So what does this mean for us personally? What does this mean for you? As as a church, we're embracing this attitude of reaching new people. We're embracing this attitude that God wants to do something new. What does that mean to you and me? I wanna just ask you a question that I want you to linger about or linger on for a little bit. Where do you think God wants you to be in five years? What do you think God wants you to do in five years? You know, I go to the hospital a fair number of times and I meet with people that are dying and most of them say this to me. They say, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done this sooner. Rarely do they come to me and say this. They say, you know what, I shouldn't have done that. And sometimes there is regret, but most of the regret centers around what they didn't do. And I wonder if for some of you, that God has placed an opportunity in your midst, that God has asked you to do something, that someone has come to you and they said this, you know, we really think that you're the person to do it. And rather than responding in faith, you actually say this, I need a little bit more information to participate. Let me pray about that. You know, let me read the Bible about it. Let me me go to my small group. Let Let me talk to more people about it. What if God's not asking you to get more information? What if God's just asking you to participate? What if God is calling you to take a step of faith that, hey, I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know how it is, but I know that God wants to do something in my heart and he wants to change my life. You know, I think about this. You know, just this past week, we had a group of teenagers um, from Elevate Ministries go to Detroit for a missions trip. You know, Pastor Rob just got back with a group from Honduras, you know, and we send a ton of people on missions trips. You know what I hear constantly from those people is they tell me this, man, I wish I would have done that sooner. Man, I wish I, wish I would have stepped into that. That has been one of the most life-changing areas because they, at some point, said, you know what? I'm not just gonna talk about it. I'm not just gonna go to info meetings. I'm not just gonna research. You know what? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. You know, and I think about other people. You know, this, this morning, I was walking around and I got to hang out with the coolest people at the church, the three-year-olds. <laughs> you know, and I think about that. And I think about the leaders that are with those three-year-olds. Sometimes there's parents, was someone clapping at that? Yeah, let's give it up for our (laughs) three-year-olds. You know, I think about the kids, whether they're from birth to 18 years old. Here's what faith says. What faith says is this, is God, I believe that you've brought me into the life of this child. I believe that you've brought me here so that I can help them see you. And I might not see the return. I might get some snot on me. I might get some attitude. I might, you know, I might have a little trouble. The kids might be crazy, but they're worth investing in because three to five years from now, even with those three-year-olds, they might walk up to you and say, thank you for helping me see Jesus. 
And what a legacy of faith. And you know what? That's not cool. You know, it's not like you come in every week. It's not, not something that we think of. But when we walk into those areas of faith, what if God wants to do something in us that we can't see and we have to be called to be faithful? And I think about this, is that there's people that each week that we have ushers, they make sure the donuts are out so your kids aren't upset or so I'm not upset and I'm not hangry. Like, well, there's coffee. You know, if we didn't have people serving and responding to faith, what would this church be like? And for some of you, you're sitting here and you're wondering, should I get involved or not? And I wonder if you got five years down the line and you realize this, you know what, I waited too long. I should have done that sooner. That instead of being like Barak and finding every reason and information or research, you said, you know what, I'm gonna respond like Deborah because I believe that God is at work in my life and I'm gonna take a step of faith. Now that's for some of you that maybe you're looking to get involved or not, but I wanna talk to another set of you. You know, there's a lot of you here that you serve a ton. You know, our discipleship pathway is begin, belong, serve. So begin, be here on Sunday morning, belong, be part of a small group of 10 to 12 people, and then serve that you're using your gift and you're expressing that here at the church or off campus. What if instead of you saying yes to another service opportunity, you actually began recruiting and raising up people to serve with you? You know, imagine this. Imagine if the legacy of faith that you left was wherever you serve, whether you're on camera right now and you're trying to follow me because I'm moving too much, whether, whether you bring out the donuts or the coffee, whether you are a small group leader for Elevate or Emerge or Explore or Embrace, whether you're an usher somewhere, but if your legacy of faith was this, is that you brought people that weren't involved and you said, hey, come serve with me. Hey, come be with me. What if we were the type of church that brought people with us? What if we were the type of church that it didn't take these calls to action, didn't take, hey, get served? What if you were in, in relationship with people and you said, hey, if you're not serving, you're missing out. You're missing out on what God wants to do in your life. What if we saw within the legacy of faith, all these people that were responding in faith because you were at the right place at the right time? Who are those people that God's calling you? to recruit? Who are those people that God's calling you to raise up? Maybe instead of saying yes to everything that the church asks you to do, maybe it's time for you to say this, you know, hey, I'm serving, but I'm willing to help to find someone who isn't serving to fill that role. What if we were the type of church that was always raising up people from, from middle schoolers who a ton of them are, are serving with our kids on Sunday morning, all the way up to the 85 to the 90 year olds. What if we all found a place to use the gifts that God's given us? You know, on the back of your bulletin, there's two questions. And I just wanna kind of give you a few moments to talk about this or to pray and ask God about this. So it says this, what new opportunity is God calling you to participate in? What new opportunity is God calling you to participate in? So for some of you here today, you've kind of been in the background and there might be something, an opportunity even this week that God has brought to you. And you're kind of getting into the information phase and you're saying, I need more information, I need to pray about it. What if you just wrote that down and said, God, God, how do you want me to participate? What step do you want me to take? And then the second question is this, who is one person God is calling you to raise up? For some of you, you're serving, you're serving in multiple places. And thank you for doing that. But what if God's next step of faith and growth for you is to find someone to serve with you?
But what if it's you recruiting them and taking them alongside of you? What if we became a church like that? Write down that person's name. I wanna give you about 30 seconds to respond to that. And so let's take a moment of silence and uh, just take a moment to respond to those questions on the back of your bulletin. So let me tell you how I would answer this question. So my wife and I had this awesome apartment. We lived on top of a funeral home. I'm serious. Our neighbors were so quiet. (laughs) This apartment was awesome and we loved it. And our financial planner and our realtor said, you need to buy a house. And so, we, um, we've been looking for houses for two and a half years and why are y'all laughing? That's not a long time, is it? And so we've been looking for a house and you know, lo and behold, one of our friends says, hey, this house is about to go on the market. You know, are you willing to you know, check it out? So we checked out the house and within 24 hours, our realtor came and took a look at the house and we put an offer on and we just moved into our brand new house about a month ago. And the reality is set in. I have to mow lawns, shovel, you know. And, um, you know, beside it being a space for, like, our house and our home, you know, what really God's been challenging me is, like, this is the first time, you know, that, you know, I have neighbors who are alive. Um, (laughs) And, like, it hit me. Like, we never had trick-or-treaters at the funeral home. You know, it just, it just hit me that, you know, and as I've been praying, as I've been thinking about it, you know, even last night we got home from our, we were on vacation at Ocean City, New Jersey. We got home and one of our sweet neighbors next to us just introduced herself. And I think about this and I'm like, God, you know, I want to respond in faith. You've given us this house. You've brought neighbors and there are a ton of families and kids there and God, I just want to be a light. I want to be available to them. You know, I think about what God's doing new in my life. It it means maybe I take a few extra minutes to mow the lawn and I I wait for my next door neighbor to come out and just have a conversation with him. Maybe at some point it's inviting. And, you know, I think about the house and what we think about or what I think about is, you know, that the house should cease from trouble and hopefully that nothing breaks and things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, what if, you know, I'm saying to myself, what if I accepted this is where God has me for right now? And that for me to live in faith is to realize that it's no accident the neighbors that are around me, it's no accident the kids that ride their bike, that it's not only for me to pray for them, but it's me to be a part of their life. Do I think about you as you answer this question? You know, you might be holding off saying, hey, I couldn't serve at 441 Ministries in Rochester, you know, it's in this part. And, And maybe God keeps pressing you on that. Maybe God keeps pressing you to say this, I want you to be involved in kids at Browncroft's life. Or maybe God's just simply saying this, I just want you to do something. 
You know, be an usher, greet people. I want you to get to know people. You know, I, I'm calling you to do this. And, and maybe this is the day that you take that step. And then for the rest of you, you know, as I think about this last question, you're serving in a ton of places. And maybe it's time for you to create space for other people to serve and to find those people who might not be using their gifts and say this, hey, come serve with me. Just like Barak and Deborah were a partnership. Deborah called on Barak to partner. I wonder what would happen if we partnered with people. If we could think five years down the line, how much their lives were changed, how much we would be available to them. As you go home, I hope you take the bulletin and, and have a conversation with your friends and family, with your kids. You know, take that moment to see what is God calling you to participate in and who is he calling you to raise up? Why don't we stand with me today? I wanna pray a blessing over all of you. So if you feel comfortable with that, uh, I'd ask that you just raise your hands up as if you're receiving it. So let's pray together. Now may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment and encouragement of the Holy Spirit be with you. May when you sense the lie to formulize God, to look for the formula, may you remember the truth that God works in the new. May you remember this week that instead of finding more information that you would respond in faith to what God has called you to do. May you know that his strength overcomes your weaknesses. May you know that when God calls you to do something that he doesn't leave you alone. And may most of all that your faith would grow in knowing that God is sovereign. May you be blessed with more grace that you know what to do with this week. And we pray this all in your name, the resurrection life.